Amen, right? Hey, it's Easter, and uh, He's risen. He has risen. It's Easter. It's interesting. Uh, Easter is a holiday that's centered around a tomb. I mean, a holiday centered around a tomb. (laughs) That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, a tomb. Here's what I'd like for us to do for a couple minutes. I'd like for us to go and actually take a look at uh, some significant tombs around the world. Let's begin in Paris, France. Why not? Good place to go. And we are at Napoleon's tomb. Uh, He was the world-renowned French emperor in the early 1800s. Napoleon's military campaigns are actually studied in a variety of military academies over the world to this day, and I've been there, our family's been there, and uh, just say uh, his deceased body lies within that incredible tomb that you see on the screen. Uh, We go to Israel, to Western Galilee, to the shrine of Bab, the shrine of Bab. It contains the remains of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith. He died in 1892. And in the picture you see, he died and is buried there. Red Square in Moscow. Lenin's tomb. The Russian revolutionary who headed the Russian state in the early 1900s. And he sought to establish control of the country and create a socialist economic system. And I've been there, and his body does still lie there. The shrine of Bibi Jawindi in Pakistan, a 5th century great-granddaughter of what was titled at that time a great saint of the day. She's buried there with a few others in that building. We go to Khufu, China. This cemetery contains the tomb of Confucius. Uh, this is in his hometown where he grew up. There's actually thousands of others buried in this cemetery. He's buried there and people go because they know that his body remains there as well. We go to India, Delhi, the Emperor Humanian's tomb. He was the second Mughal emperor in the 16th century. He ruled what is our present-day Afghanistan, Pakistan, North India. And his wife built this tomb, uh, building to hold and house his tomb. And his body lies there. We go to Sri Lanka, to the Temple of the Tooth. Uh, This is the place where the right tooth of Buddha is kept at present. You see, his body was cremated in about 500 BC, and the relics, various relics from his body's uh, body is held in various tombs and monuments around, including a chest bone that's kept at the king's palace. Next, we go to Saudi Arabia. The mosque of the prophet, Muhammad, is buried here. Actually, if you look real closely in the picture, I know it's hard to see, it's small, but kind of in the center towards the back, there's actually what's called the Green Dome. 
The green dome is actually the house where he and his wife lived, and both are now buried, and his body remains there. We go to Egypt. It was in 1922 that King Tut's tomb was discovered with all of the things he was going to take into the afterlife. His body was found inside this incredible gold casket. We go to South America, the tomb of Pedro II. His tomb is located in the Petropolis Cathedral in Rio de Janeiro. Pedro II was the emperor of Brazil from 1831 to 1889, and his body lays in that casket inside that cathedral. The 11th place we go to is the tomb at Zoltepec. Here is where the Aztecs sacrificed some 400 people as an act of ritual sacrifice to their gods. Uh, The skeletons of those 400 plus people, they're all there. Finally, we come to Springfield, Illinois, to the tomb of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is buried there. Twelve rather amazing tombs. I mean, just look at them. Amazing tombs. Grand sites of significance with stories behind them. But today we go to one more tomb. Easter brings us to a very different tomb. Actually, when you look at it, compared to the others, it's pretty unimpressive looking. Uh, It tells an amazing story that's unlike all of the other tomb stories. Uh, The tomb located in Jerusalem, uh, at one time, let me say that again, at one time, contained the body of a crucified Jewish carpenter who said he was God in the flesh. Something's different about this tomb. This tomb is empty. No casket. No body, no body in a casket. There's no skeleton. There's no right tooth. There's no chest bone. You go inside... And it's empty. His body wasn't moved. Get this. No kidding. Dead dog serious. He rose from the dead. Why celebrate Easter? Well, because the Easter tomb is empty. That's it. That's it. This is all about an empty tomb? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. What's the big deal about an empty tomb? Everything. Everything is different because, listen, the empty tomb is all about the availability of a great, big God solution to a great, big me problem. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. That's a weird passage to go to on Easter. Absolutely it is not. 
Ephesians chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we got some people coming around with Bibles. Just so that you know if you're new with us, we're not a church that talks about the Bible. We actually get in it, and we'd love to have you to have one to look into it. And I understand about the thing of why are we going to Ephesians chapter 2? Why are we not going to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John that tells us the story uh, listen, today, I just in preparing and thinking through this, I want for us today to key in on not necessarily telling the story, retelling the story. Can I just, here's the story. God came down in the flesh as a baby, Christmas. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, perfect life, died on the cross for our sin, rose from the dead, booyah, sits at the right hand of the Father, grace has been given, salvation is made available. That's the story. Here's the big question. Why do we need all that story? So today is keying in on why do we need this whole story? And to me, for me, Ephesians chapter 2 is the pinnacle of the story. And let's begin in Ephesians chapter 2, these first three verses, by grasping what I'm calling the great big me problem, okay? Let's get the me problem behind the story. Let me pray. God, I pray that your word would speak to us today and tell us what it is about the empty tomb that makes it worth celebrating. Thanks for the empty tomb. In your name we pray. Amen. Are you in Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. Here we go. Verses 1 through 3. Bad news is coming. Uh, Let's first four words, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. Merry Merry Christmas. Happy Easter. Uh, Let me take a, a moment here and explain this. And you. Who's the you? Well, in this, the you is not talking about everybody that's on the planet. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing, if you look over to the left in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, you see that he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing this to followers of Jesus Christ. He is writing this to people who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ, who have come to a place in their life where they've received Jesus Christ as the Savior for their sin. He's writing to believers here. That's critically important as we look at this text. And you were. That's a past tense verb. There's hope contained within that word, may I say. We'll see the hope in just a little bit. And you were what? Dead. Wait a second. He's writing to dead people? How can that be? Because these people aren't dead. They're alive. I mean, they're living people. Listen, this is not talking about physical death people. This is talking about spiritually dead people. He's writing and he's saying, listen, Followers of Christ, there was a time where at one point in time, you were dead. And you were dead spiritually to God. That's what it's saying. That's the great big me problem. You were spiritually dead. Why was I dead? Why were they dead? Uh, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's interesting in this text because it says trespasses and sins. Uh, You could literally translate it as sins and sins. Why didn't Paul just say, and you were dead in your sins? 
Because Paul is getting to a point here. He's not just saying, you know, oops, I did a boo-boo. You know, I've sinned. No, he's really saying this. He's saying, listen, and you, believers in Christ, at one point in time, you were spiritually dead, separated from God, uh, uh, completely unalive to God uh, spiritually because of your sins upon sins. You aren't just sinners. You're sinners, really sinners, and like really sinners, and like really sinners. That's what he's saying here. Doug, you're really getting negative. Hang on. Hang on. And you were dead in your sins and sins. Notice, in which you once walked. The word walked, by the way, you once, which is a hope, it's a past. But you walked in it. You lived in it. Combine that with the word in. When it says, and you were dead in your sins and sins, in which you once walked, it's talking about a realm of. In other words, it's not something that was mistakenly given me or placed upon me. It's something that I've, it's not not that I don't deserve it. It's saying I lived in it. It's actively deserving in it. It's actively participating in it. It's the kind of situation where I'm in it, baby. It's It's mine illustration down at lucas oil uh i'm let's just say i'm not a basketball guy and i go down and i'm i'm a student guy (laughs) i know imagine um and i'm going to the library and i'm going to the lie i was going to the library yesterday and i'm going to the library downtown and i'm on the phone and i call karen my wife and i say hey babe I'm down here going to the library to study because you know what an egghead I am. And I'm going to the library to study. (laughs) I am like all caught in this traffic and chaos that's going on downtown. I totally forgot about it. I wasn't even thinking about it. It wasn't mine. It wasn't part of what I wanted. I was just going to the library and I got caught in it. (laughs) I don't want this. This isn't part. Listen, the text is not saying that. What the text is saying is this. It was yesterday, and I was one of the lucky ones that got a ticket to the game. And I had the ticket. I went downtown. I gave my ticket in. I went into the game, and I was down there with the students. And I was painted blue, and I was just like going crazy, and I was in the game. And it was going on, and I'm like, I'm loving being here at this game. This game is great. (laughs) And at this game, I am there, and I call Karen. And I give Karen a call. say, hey, babe, I'm in the game, and I am loving this. I would not want to be anywhere else here but right now in this game. That's what the text is talking about. Hey, friends, we have a problem, and here's the problem. What we have a tendency to do is to do comparative, horizontal comparative reality. I'm better than the next guy, or I'm not as bad as them. You see, that's kind of like saying, I'm worse, but they're worser. You know, okay, let's just say, maybe if we stacked it all up, that was true. But the the fact of the matter is I'm worse before a holy God. That's the right comparative. Before a holy God, I am a sinner. 
And the text is talking here about in reality from God's vantage point. The fact of the matter is I'm in it, baby, and I love it, and I'm savoring it. Listen, if I don't have, if you don't have a big view of sin, you have no need for a very big God. If my sin is viewed about this big, and if I'm all about just esteeming myself before everybody else, why do I need a God? (laughs) Listen to me. If I understand what Paul is saying here, and I understand the fact, the reality, the bad news of the situation from God's vantage point, God views me and God views you as one deep in sin. And that results in spiritual death from a holy God. Well, what does spiritually dead walking life look like? Here's what it looks like. Let's keep reading. Of following the course of the world, just like a, a lemming, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. Do you see that? Who is that? The Satan. The spirit that is now at the work in sons, at work in the daughters of disobedience, that's really saying, I, I, I am by nature, I'm a son of Satan. I'm a daughter. Boy, Doug, you're like getting worse and worse. Did you have a bad night last night? No, no, listen, good news is coming. The empty tomb. And following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. What does it look like? It looks like following the world. It looks like following Satan. It looks like living disobediently to God, thinking and doing whatever I want. A natural child of wrath, just like everybody else. And I just want to say, this gives me absolutely no pleasure to say all this. I don't stand here and get a great gleam of joy in my heart for saying the fact that, folks, you and I are totally depraved before a holy God. But I'm also about what God has to say in his word. And hang in there because, listen, when I understand that there's a great big me-sin problem, verse 4, uh-huh, uh-huh, verse 4, first two words are what? But God! Listen, you've got to carry that within the flow of what's saying. It's like, I am a totally depraved sinner. Sins upon sins upon sins upon sins. And yet, but God, yeah! But God stepped into my world. And God did something about the situation that I have. Oh, this is where it gets great. But God... But God, being rich in mercy, not God just being merciful. Oh, King, merciful you. No, 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 no. This is rich in mercy. This is a gazillionaire in mercy. Mercy oozing, mercy flowing. It's everywhere. Mercy, mercy, mercy. But God, rich in mercy. But it doesn't stop there. Because of his great love. Not just because of his love, but because of his great love for us. Which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. 
as I said before, if I don't see the reality of the great big sin problem that I have, I don't see the reality of a great big awesome God. And when I'm like, I'm not really that bad. I mean, I'm I'm better than Paul. Paul's better than me. You know, then I need a God about this big. And I'm just going to tell you, this big God is not this God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. You see that? And you were dead, verse 4, but God made us alive. But jing Hey, this is when someone's dead. Listen, a dead person can't bring themselves back to life, even if the defibrillator's right there. When they're dead, they can't reach over and go, someone else has to come in, grab the defibrillator, and bring life back in. But God, but God, but God being rich in mercy with which he loved us, he made us alive together with whom? Oh, now we're talking the empty tomb made together with Christ. Listen, because Christ was dead and now is alive, connect the dots. Wow, God has the power and ability to bring life back to me and raise me. He made us alive, brought us back with him. By grace, you have been saved. Now I'm seeing why it's by grace. Because without grace, I can't do nothing about my situation. I'm dead. I need a gift. I need someone to step down and help me out. Raise this up with him. See that, I'm sorry, he made us alive together. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him. That sounded like the tomb to me. He made us alive He raised us up, and then this next one. Love this. Love this. He made us alive. He raised us up, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Question, have you been seated? Maybe let me sit and term it this way. Do you have a seat reserved for you? You see, you can see some of these people up here. In fact, myself and Karen, back when we were young kids, we came to realize that we were sinners separated from God and we needed a Savior. And we received Christ as young little kids in our life. You can see the story of some of the others up on here. Uh, People who, if you will, are not in heaven right now, but have a seat. Uh, Do you also see that there's some available? Uh, Listen, have you been seated there's really two responses today. One is, is I'm not sure if I've been seated. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The second is, is my goodness, this is so, so cool. I've been seated. I was that. And God did that. And now I've got that. Let's get on living like that. That's a joy. This is good news. It starts with bad news, but it's great news. You see, Christ died. Oh, that seems like bad news. No, no, that's great news. 
Because he rose again. He raised us up, seated us with him. Why did he do that? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why would God do that for people like verses 1 through 3? Because God wants to show his immeasurable riches, his immeasurable grace, his immeasurable awesomeness. Immeasurable. Those are the facts of the tomb. Why the empty tomb? What's the big deal about the tomb? Here's the big deal. Because there's a great big me problem. There's a great big sin problem. But here's the cool thing. Because of the empty tomb, there's a great big God solution. Those are the facts. That's the information on the table. Now here's the question. Okay, I don't like that fact, but that's reality. We're about being real around here. Let's be real what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. And I like that. I love that fact. I love that information. God is a solution for my problem. What do I do about that? I am so glad you asked because the text goes on to say, uh, let's pick it up. Verse 8, here's the way to be seated. For by grace, you, speaking of followers of Christ, believers in Christ, remember, it's referring to, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Saved through faith. See, you see, uh, there's a, a sin problem, a me problem, and there's a God solution. And I could sit back and go, hmm, I don't buy that. Okay. Okay. You can make that choice. But living by faith also means this. Wow, this comes from the Word of God. And I'm convinced that those are the real facts. And I just want to tell you, I want to be able to, like, have a seat with God for eternity. That's like one awesome good deal. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be able to go from living like that as a son of disobedience to living like this as a child of God. I think this is a pretty cool deal, personally. So what do I want to do? God, by faith, in light of what you say in your word, I want to receive you as my Savior. I want to receive that gift. Take a look. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. Oh, what? I mean, I can't earn my way to heaven? And the answer is no. I mean, I can't really. And maybe for some today, it's like, well, can I be good enough to earn God's favor? You know, here's part of the bad news. I'm really sorry you can't. You can't. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all of us. Romans says that no one is righteous. No, not even one. This isn't about a, a, a sermon from an arrogant guy. This is about a sermon from a great big sinner redeemed by an unbelievably gracious God. And I want you to know about it. Because that's what the empty tomb is all about. God did for me what I could not do for myself. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
I just want to say, I, I, I don't have that seat. That's a picture of a seat. That's just an illustration of a seat, but I, I've, got, I've got a seat with my name on it. My name's in a book, and not because I've earned it, but because there came a point in time where I came to understand the facts and received those facts, the gift that God has provided. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Have you been seated? John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, the risen Son. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Listen to the kicker, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you made a grace through faith decision for Christ in your life? Do you know that you know that you know? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I just want to let you know, if you haven't made that decision, you want to talk with somebody, someone maybe you came with, just talk with them about it. After the service here towards the end, we're going to have some people up front when we're all closed and people are heading out. If you want to come up and talk with someone, you can talk with someone. Take this week and just read over this passage and pray it. God, where am I at? The empty tomb is all about solving the sin problem. The empty tomb is all about the availability of a great big God solution to a great big me problem. Hey, if you've come to that point where you've received Christ as your Savior, I have a question for you out of this text. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. <laughs> Man, you are a piece of work. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm a piece of work. Created, maybe recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, but I thought good works couldn't earn my way to heaven. That's true. God works cannot earn my way back into a relationship with the Lord. But listen, when I'm a child of God, it's like, Get on with living it. Live like a child of the Lord. I mean, why would I want to live like that when I can live like this and for this? This is what it's about. And I just want to say, believer in Christ, if you are like claiming this and living like this, I just want to say, excuse me, but something's out of whack. And I just want to call you to reconsider where you're at, what you're doing. Do you really understand the gospel? Or is Jesus just all about being your boyfriend? Is Jesus all about being your credit card problem solver? No, Jesus is about solving the sin problem. And let's live like it. From a son of disobedience to a son, a daughter of the living awesome, alive, raised up with him, seated with him, child of God. Booyah. 
I'm all about that. Let's pray. Lord, today was intended to be about a reminder of what you've done. The story of the empty tomb is absolutely amazing. The story of the empty tomb is about a loving, rich, and mercy God that has come and stepped into my life, stepped into our world for the purpose of providing a great big God solution. And Lord, I don't like talking about this bad sin problem thing. But yet at the same time, I love talking about it from the standpoint that there's a solution to it that's immeasurable, incomprehensible, and awesome. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that isn't sure about whether they've had that God solution applied to their lives, I pray they would today, they would ask somebody about it, they would make it right, they'd drive the stake in the ground with you and say, listen, I receive your gift and I'm now about living for you. Not perfect, but raised and made alive and seated. And oh Lord, I look forward to being seated with you. Bring that game on. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What an amazing spot to be at. This is a spot that from this view, as one could look around if we could right now, this really would be the culmination of the work of Christ. Over just a little ways behind me is Golgotha, the area where Christ was crucified. Uh, a little bit over behind me this way is the uh, area, the wall of the city where Christ either walked through or walked under to come over to Golgotha. And then uh, at least here it's believed that actually the tomb is just a little ways over here. It's interesting how all of this is so close, uh, much more close than I kind of geographically thought that it was. But that's really not the point. In fact, I didn't really want to show Golgotha. I really didn't necessarily want to show what is assumed to be the tomb or even the wall. What this is about is about a person. This is about God in the flesh who came and lived and then died for you and I. And he has provided the opportunity through his death to be able to be redeemed, to have our sins forgiven, to have a relationship with him, to be able to know that one day for sure we will see him eye to eye, face to face. What a blessed truth. God in the flesh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son.